Tolstoy says, you can tell a marriage is in trouble when the couple speak civilly to each other. <laughs> that was Caroline and me. After years of arguing and sniping, of battles and ceasefires, of lowering our expectations and living down to them, we had become polite as teacups, careful not to clink, knowing that the slightest contact could open the fault line <clears throat> that would take us all under. We were careful to remove all the dry tinder, nothing left to burn, no pacing outside the bathroom while she touched up her makeup for the 20th time, making us late for a movie or dinner, and me goading her to hurry, saying, when you're done with the portrait, you want to sign it? <laughs> but all the carping and cruelty was behind us now. I finally accepted everything about her, and all it took was falling out of love. She had started itching weeks before I knew about it. Mom has bites, Danielle pronounced one morning when I was getting her ready for school. I left her French toast on the table and meandered back to the bedroom. Caroline's blouse was open, and she was studying her midriff in the full-length mirror. It was strange to be a voyeur watching your own wife half-dressed. What's going on? I asked, casual as an air raid siren. She showed me four round welts that were broadcast haphazardly across her stomach like change of a dollar. Are you allergic to something? I was instantly wary that I'd set her up for the perfectly snide response, but her mind wasn't the one that worked that way. Things are burrowing in and out, she said. Oh. That one spoken syllable expressed the entire landscape of our relationship. It wasn't Oh, I'm so concerned. How can I help? It was more like, our friends are flying in tomorrow to stay with us for a week and you're infested? <laughs> she said she had an appointment with a specialist that afternoon. Well, you've known about this for weeks. Maybe you could have waited a little longer. Old resentment reared its charming head. She pulled her blouse closed as Danielle called me from the kitchen, stretching dad over three syllables. Dad! School! I loved our rides across Mulholland every morning. It was our bonding time. But all our talk that day was about the impending visit of our transplanted friends. I thought Danielle would be most excited about sharing her bedroom with Jessica, who was 10, two years older. But she was completely jazzed about changing the baby's diaper. They're rat mites, Caroline informed me later that evening after Danny had been put to bed. Rat mites. They burrow in and lay eggs. The eggs hatch and they come out. I've been painting them over with clear nail polish. I fought against the urge to cite that infestation was evidence of some character flaw of hers. But the truth was more rooted in mother nature than in her nature. Our house is built on a hillside, surrounded by ivy. Rats live in ivy. Mites live on rats. They had apparently migrated from their rodent hosts into Caroline's closet, where they had I would have to guess, taken up residence in her clothing. Why they had chosen Caroline's body and not Danny's or mine to excavate was fascinating, but at this point irrelevant. Our friends were arriving in 12 hours. We have to move out, Caroline declared. We need to have the place fumigated. We have to wash all our clothes in boiling water, and anything that can't be washed has to be dry cleaned. Dry clean all our clothes? Do you know what that's going to cost? 
not just clothes, pillowcases, sheets, all the slip covers and curtains. We're not doing that, I said. Well, what do you suggest? I could only dismantle. I had no replacement. Maybe they'll just stay on you. I thought better of saying out loud. Here, I anticipated the Republicans' alternate health plan, which will work perfectly as long as nobody gets sick. The Browns arrived the following day. Bob was my closest friend. We talked about things the way girlfriends did. And his new wife was bright, cordial, articulate. The situation was explained to them, and they were good sports about it. A pioneer spirit took hold. We would find a motel with a pool, maybe continental breakfast. We'd rough it. We don't need to go to a motel, I said. We'll be fine here. Dad. But even my daughter's lament had no effect. Bob was obliged out of male loyalty uh, not to side against me. He was also obliged out of sanity to point out what I sort of knew, that I was playing out some kind of paradigm of heroism, trying to rescue something unsalvageable. Through the bay window, I watched the passengers and crew abandon ship, trop down the 60 steps to the street below and load themselves into two cars. Bob and Ann and Jessica and the baby and all their suitcases. Danielle with her backpack, Caroline with some of her favorite cookware. I remained stalwart and vigilant at my post, gazing out to sea in noble solitude, while they checked into the motel, donned bathing suits, romped in the kidney-shaped pool, signed up for the following day's complimentary breakfast. The fumigator called to double-check that the house was vacated. I took that as my release and scuttled gloomily down the stairs, head bent in defeat, and joined them at the motel. Nearly everyone was pleased to see me. In the midst of the tragic comedy, Bob and I carried out a covert operation before the exterminators arrived. We gathered up every hanging drape, every towel, sheet, curtain, throw rug, every article of wearing apparel, and drove to find a dry cleaners. Each of us carried in a huge mound of clothing and dropped it on the counter. We went back to the car twice for loads equally large, the proprietor's eyes registered dollar signs, <laughs> seeing, seeing in each new heap his mortgage payment, his son's periodonture, <laughs> that dream vacation they always wanted to take at Disneyland. Two days later, we re-inhabited the house. The atmosphere of chemical devastation had lifted. We brought the sterilized clothing back from the dry cleaners. Everything was normal again and polite. But even Caroline knew now what I had known months earlier. The revelation had hit me on a gorgeous Easter Sunday in Griffith Park. The air was vibrant, filled with music and dogs, frisbees and families and the smell of barbecue. In the midst of all that life, <clears throat> Caroline and I were like a black hole in outer space, swallowing matter, absorbing light. I knew that the atmosphere of that marriage could no longer sustain life, and I would have to leave it. I didn't want Danielle to think that this was what love looked like. Somebody had brought a portable test your strength booth to the park for a birthday party. I watched that rubber disc rise up after each mallet blow, reach its highest point, and hover for a moment before gravity brought it to its slow, steady descent. And I thought of our marriage and how those 15 years would look if they were played in reverse like that falling disc. 
day after day in which Caroline and I would become closer, more in love, more optimistic, accumulating acts of goodwill and good faith, refilling our souls each day with that forgotten sense of pure fun, leading up to the first moment I saw her, which would be the last moment, which was the best moment, at the peak of her beauty, emerging topless out of the surf on the Greek island of Eos, water and seaweed dripping from her hair, smiling when she saw me, like the first time God smiled when he saw light, and her saying, ah, just the man I've been looking for. And sometimes I wonder, maybe even wish, what my alternate life would have looked like if I had looked the other way. But our past is the only thing all of us have. And so I said, hi, that sunlight through your hair, it looks like a promise. Thank you.